I'll never forget my first sermon. It was the summer of 1988. I was 22 years old. And I remember I was so scared. I just knew I was going to be sick. I was a construction worker at the time in Lexington, Kentucky. But I had just become the new youth pastor at Lancaster United Methodist Church, which was south of Lexington. So the, the pastor said, hey, I think it would be a great idea if you, if you preach the sermon on Sunday, and that would kind of give the, the church an opportunity to get to know you. And I'm like, yeah, that's a great idea. Um, and so I was on, and that Sunday morning, I remember uh, on the drive uh, to the church, it was about 45 minutes um, from the church to my apartment, I worked myself up to such a bundle of nerves that right before the service started, I was behind the church building puking my guts out. It was awful. I just wanted to, to crawl into a hole somewhere. Well, Kenneth Hester took me to lunch after, and he was going on and kept saying, your sermon was really good. And I'm like, no, I didn't believe him. I still don't believe him. It was awful. Jesus tells a story um, about a guy who, who digs a hole and he buries a ton of money in it. I don't imagine that uh, you've ever seriously con considered burying a, a bunch of money in a hole in your backyard. Uh, maybe uh, you'll hide money in, in, a, in a coffee can out in your shed, or uh, I've heard tell of people stuffing their mattress with, with cash to, to keep it safe. That happens from time to time. Um, but this story, um, Jesus is telling a bunch of stories about the end times, and, and Matthew kind of groups them together near the end of his gospel. And, and the focus of these stories um, is on the return. Like in our story for today, it's the return of the master after the master had been gone for a long time. Uh, in, in our story last week, the parable of the ten bridesmaids, it, it was about the return of, of the bridegroom. Um, and, and next week, we'll be looking at the return of the king and what happens when, when the king returns. So all of these stories will, will focus on the judgments that are made uh, on that day. And I think one of the main reasons why Jesus tells these stories, it, it focuses on those who are waiting for the return and what they're doing with their lives while they're waiting. So, so this parable, uh, the parable of the talents, uh, the traditional rendering is to, to connect it to stewardship. So that the talents, they represent things like, like gifts and abilities, talents uh, and resources. And, and this idea, this biblical idea, Paul writes about it a good bit in his letters to the churches, uh, that God gives all of us these gifts. They're not all going to be the same. Uh, they're going to be different. Um, but that we've all got them, that they're all valuable, and that God expects us to use them. So, a, a talent, uh, that's this unit or measurement of weight. Uh, it's not coins, um, but it's all about money. So it kind of depends on uh, what you're weighing to, to know the value of, of a talent. If you're weighing gold or you're weighing silver. Uh, every scholar that I've consulted says that one talent is a considerable amount of money, like up to to 15 years living wage. Like, that's a lot of money. And so these three guys that the master gives the talents to, the first one gives five talents. Like, 
75 years, like a lifetime of wages. He entrusts that uh, to, this, to this first slave. And, and the second guy, uh, two talents, 30 years living wage. And they go after it. The, the master leaves and is gone for a long time. And like they seem to go crazy with it, investing it. We don't know exactly what they did with this money. But when the master finally returns, they've doubled the talents. So instead of five talents, the first guy says, here's 10 talents. And instead of two talents, here's four talents. And of course, that's a, that's a good day. <laughs> when the master returns, there's a lot of joy in the room. You know, I trusted you with this stuff and you were faithful. We really don't kind of learn until the end of the story that the master wasn't just loaning them this money, that he had actually given it to them. Well, the one talent guy, it didn't end so well for him. And, and I actually feel sorry for him. You know, he dug his talent in a hole and it was a lot of money. Like one talent is 15 years living wage. And he says he was afraid. You know, I, I think sometimes our, our fear can paralyze us. I, I wondered, what, what was he afraid of? Maybe he was afraid that somebody was going to steal it. I mean, that makes sense. So you don't want to leave it on the kitchen counter. Uh, you bury a hole in the, in the ground um, and you bury it. And actually, back in his day, like that was kind of expected. A majority of people would have said, that is a wise and prudent thing to do. And yet, when the master comes home, it's a huge disappointment, a huge disappointment. I wonder if maybe if he was afraid of himself, you know, there wasn't the confidence there. Maybe, maybe he just knew he was going to screw things up and, and it was just going to be this massive failure. Makes it clear he was afraid of the master. We know about fear. I, I know about fear. I, I know that, um, when I was 18 years old, a lot of things can scare you at 18 years old, especially when you get the sense of calling from God into the ministry. I've shared my story with you before. It was this five-word phrase uh, that I couldn't escape. Uh, God saying to me, I want you to preach. I want you to preach. I want you to preach. Every time I turned around, it was there. I wanted to be an architect. The last thing that I wanted to do uh, was stand in front of a, a group of people and preach a sermon. The last thing I wanted was to be a pastor. And you know, when I remember those days and when I think about it, I, I know um, that, that my reluctance and, and my resistance uh, had nothing to do with economics. It had everything to do with this fear of, of public speaking. You know, when, when your master uh, asks big things of you, it can be really frightening. And, and I think I was afraid of uh, having what it takes, of getting the job done. And so I wanted to run away. And I ended up puking all over the, the brick wall of this cute little country church in Lancaster, Kentucky. I, I really like what New Testament scholar uh, John Buchanan says um, about this parable. He imagines us going to our um, investment manager, you know, the person who manages our wealth. And, and if you were to ask uh, that, that person the question, okay, if I want to, if I want to, uh, double my money, 
Uh, what are the risks involved? And Buchanan says he'd probably tell you about the rule of 72. So the rule of 72 is like this. If you're uh, guaranteed a 5% return on your investment, well, you divide 5 into 72, and the number that results from that uh, will give you the number of years that it, that it takes to double your money. In, in, in that example, it would be 14 and a half years. So um, when it comes to, to investment capital, experts will tell you like one in four, one in five, some will say one in 10 uh, won't make it. They'll completely fail. Uh, they'll lose everything. Jesus tells this story uh, at a time when he is taking a huge risk with his own life. Uh, the adventure and, and his journey, he's, he leaves Galilee, maybe relative safety out in, in the, the rural areas, and he's going to Jerusalem, um, and he knows he's taking a chance. He knows that in, in the big city, um, that not just the religious leaders, but even the secular leaders, um, uh, they're going to have it out for him. Uh, but he goes anyway. And, and he says about this story, like, imagine, these, these uh, first two guys, the five-talent guy and, and the two-talent guy, they risked everything. And, and the master praised them for that. But of course he did, because, like, they doubled their money. Like, it was just crazy good. But you can't imagine, what if they had lost everything? He thinks it wouldn't have mattered. He thinks the master would have praised them anyway. You know, the, the point of this story is not about um, doubling your money or amassing wealth, even when, when that wealth is for the kingdom. The point of the story is, is about living. It's about moving. It's about investing. It's about taking risks. And that's what happens when uh, we decide to follow Jesus. You know, the point here is not about doubling your money or about increasing your wealth, even if it's for the kingdom. It's about living. It's, it's about investing. It's about taking risks. It's about following Jesus. And that's what happens when you choose to follow Jesus. And so, it turns out, the biggest risk is not risking anything at all. The greatest risk, as it turns out, is not to risk anything at all. It's to not care deeply enough or, or profoundly enough about something that you're, you're compelled to, uh, to risk giving your heart away to loving and, and to making some kind of a difference. There was a story uh, of this wealthy man who, who got up in a church service to, to give his testimony. And he, he said to the crowd in the sanctuary, um, he says, I'm, I'm a millionaire. I've got a lot of money. And he said, I give God the credit God has blessed me, and, and that's why I have so much wealth. And he said, I remember when, when I was just a kid, and uh, when I made my very first dollar, that night I, I went to a church service, and uh, it just so happened that there was a visiting missionary who was um, 
telling his story. And at the end of that service, when they were receiving an offering for his ministry, I knew that this dollar was all that I had and that I was either going to give this, this dollar to God or I was going to give nothing at all. Well, I was moved and I was stirred and I, and I gave this dollar. And that was a turning point in my faith. It was a turning point in my life. And I, and I believe um, that, that God has blessed me and that that's why uh, I'm a millionaire today. And so as he's uh, finished with his testimony and he's, he's going back to his seat, there's kind of this, um, this silent awe uh, about his story in the congregation. And, and he sits down in his pew and a little old lady who was sitting in the pew next to him kind of leaned in and said, I dare you to do it again. <laughs> I wonder if it's kind of like that. Actually, I think it's like that. God has entrusted me with all of this amazing stuff. And God is just waiting to see if I will ever get out of the hole. That's my prayer for us today. That we'll risk it. That we'll get out of the hole. And that we'll really live.